0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Amy Knight.
1: Hey, hey from Nashville.
0: AJ O'Neill. Yo, yo, yo,
2: coming at you live, sleepless in Provo.
0: I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week we have a special guest, and that's Renee Rubacava. Yeah, that's right. How you doing? Doing all right. Do you want to just give a brief introduction, who you are, where you're from? Tell me how to really
3: say your name all that stuff
2: <laughs> and is that a real beard or a microphone
3: no no that's my full-on beard man I got the grays come in perfectly and everything <laughs> oh wow we we should do a kickstarter where
0: you get a microphone that looks like that beard right?
3: <laughs> my name is renee robocava i am a uh, software developer at esri uh, i like to emphasize the where like where you are because i work in uh, spatial and geo i'm out of uh redlands over here uh, where esri is uh headquarters, Mm -hmm. and I do a lot of development, JavaScript development and so on. Nice. Get Datadog
0: for visibility into your entire application from browser to the code base and all the way down to the infrastructure. Get proactively alerted on any client-side issues such as JavaScript and network issues. Optimize the load time on your front-end resources and detect any UI issues that affect critical user journeys. Discover that it isn't a front-end problem, You can tie all this information to corresponding backend traces, code level errors, infrastructure level metrics, and even related logs in seconds without any querying. Try it out today here, https colon forward slash forward slash dtdg, that's datadog without the vowels, dot co slash javascript jabber. So I'm kind of curious just to get rolling. Um, I had seen stuff from Esri, man, how long has it been now? Like 10 years? Maybe not that long. Anyway, when I went freelance, yeah, it's been eight years, eight, nine years, because we were working on some uh, location services stuff at my job. It was all in Ruby, but it was still just interesting stuff. And I think we used a library or something that Ezri had written or something like that.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, they've, um, I mean, so Esri itself has been around since 1969. So, oh, wow. 50 years so far, right? I mean, it would have been great to have been like 16 years old in 1969. I think that'd have been cool, but. Um, <laughs> Around the, uh, I'm not really sure how long ago, I mean, I guess around sometime before 2000 or so, they started moving from um, the desktop space, this is where main, most of the software was at the time, to more uh, server-based. Back then, I mean, Google Maps um, came out and was like the big push for getting um, web maps to consumers and everything like that. So as we got into the space in terms of web mapping and stuff, and they started providing some of the things you probably worked with are services that do uh, directions, and routing, location, search for an address, or give me a bunch of coordinates and we'll give you a bunch of addresses back. Uh, those are kind yeah. of the basic kind of services. And those are really fun and really cool to work with. And uh, since then, we've just uh, exploded in terms of the type of services that are provided on the web. Back then, we we had uh, Flex and Silverlight APIs. When Flex and oh, Silverlight, old days, <laughs> the future of the web, right? You could do anything in Flash. Everything worked great. Yeah, the company yeah. I was at, we
0: were using Flex and Flash. So
3: yeah, I was a, I was a big Flex user. I was a, I was so sad when Flex died. But uh, you know, like most most Flex developers moved on to JavaScript, and uh, I think today we're just catching up with what Flex and Flash was able to do back then, which is a lot of fun. But um, yeah, we've had our, uh, our JavaScript API out geez, over 10 years now, I believe, uh, from version one, and we're now in version four of our API. So it's been a lot of fun. I myself have been with Esri only for about uh, four years now, but I've been using the products probably since around 2002, 2003 or so.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting too, just when you start working with location information, now, we didn't do routing. Um, what what we did at that company was, in fact, I wonder if they're still there, but I just haven't heard anything about them for a while, but it was crimereports.com. Okay. And so what we did is, yeah, it's a 404, so it's gone. <laughs> um, anyway, so what we did is we provided location-based services for law enforcement agencies. And so basically what you would run into is you would run into things like so they would put all their crime data in. So of course we had to be compliant because it's government data. But then it would show all the crime locations on the map and then show them like heat maps. So this is where these kinds of crimes occur and all that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, it was always interesting because then people could go in on crimereports.com and they could put in basically a polygon. And we can talk about polygons and points on a map and all that stuff in a minute. But they essentially draw a shape on the map and then, um, we would tell them, we would send them reports if there were crimes that occurred within that geographic area. So if they had some kind of delineated neighborhood or something like that, it would, you know, would give them reports on that kind of thing. So if, if a lot of garages were getting broken into or something like that, you know, they'd see it, they'd get reported and then, you know, they could let their neighborhood know, Hey, a lot of garages are getting broken into in our neighborhood. So go check it out. Make sure your garage is closed every night and things like that. So,
3: yeah, it's a really good use case for it. I mean, it's one of those, um powerful ways to be able to use that location data to do something a bit more you know other than just just show up some points on the map actually make it useful in some way that is good for people that are going to be consuming it which is really neat yeah that's one of the things we try to focus on a lot we're always concerned about how are people using these tools and everything that we're doing and what are the goals they want to achieve with what we're building uh, like we like to say sometimes that we uh, we write software for developers that right software to make awesome users right so it's kind of a, our end goal at that point
0: yeah so i'm curious just to get us rolling i mean how how because a lot of this stuff is kind of this kind of baked in in my head at this point because you know i did so much stuff with it you know it was a long time ago but how do you think about location and mapping today if you're building software around that stuff like what do you have to understand or Think about that's uh, sort of outside of the norm of the rest of software
3: development. So basically what you're dealing with, you're dealing with the location data is, I mean, yeah, it's points on a map. And uh, a lot of times those points can be turned into lines, streets, Mm -hmm. networks, utilities. Polygons basically differentiate things like uh, regions, some sort of boundaries of some sort buildings are really useful. But when people are, Coming into it, they, maybe they're building apps, and at some point they find out that they need to incorporate some sort of location uh, for some reason. Um, it's usually because they've got some um, data sets that need to be analyzed a bit more, right? Maybe more than uh, moving things from a spreadsheet into another type of a visualization to kind of give it more impact or tell another story with it. And that's kind of where working with um, web mapping and mapping apps kind of comes into play. Right, so now you can take these CSV files you might already have, some Excel sheets and stuff, and you can start turning those into these really cool-looking maps that not only look cool, but they also uh, tell a story or they provide some sort of um, information to people that need to make decisions, for example. And that could be uh, city leaders. That could be uh, people running, uh, you know, Retail stores, that are trying to find um, new locations to put stores at. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are kind of things that they work with. If you are looking for where your customers are, for example, or you run some sort of a, a business for that, you can analyze where people live that are buying your product, what are the demographics of those areas, you know, how much money do they spend on not just your product, but how much money are they spending on similar items, like entertainment, for example. So there's all these different pieces that come into play when you start uh, getting into it and working with this location data, which is really neat. Yeah, it's really cool. AJ and Amy, have have either
0: of you done much with location type work?
1: I have not really. I feel like the most that I've done is just tracking IPs and stuff like that, which doesn't necessarily have to do with your location.
2: (laughs) Well, Chuck, funny you ask. Let me tell you a little bit about time zones in Postgres.
0: <laughs> I kind of felt that one coming, uh, you know, out there in the ether. Uh,
2: yeah, I, I haven't done a whole lot with normal locations. Well, not normal. I think time zones is pretty normal, but I, ha- I haven't done a lot with um, like geo location type stuff. I've tinkered around with it once or twice, but I've never built something useful. And I suppose I lament that because there's so much cool stuff you can do
3: with, with Geo APIs. Yep. So, I mean, time zones in particular do become an issue for us as well sometimes because if someone, you know, for example, they store time in their data set, and, you know, maybe someone you know, got a parking ticket at a certain time of day or something like that. I mean, it's fine if you're at the location where you got it, but maybe you've got people remote working on the same data that are in different time zones completely. So the browser tells us, you know, uh, you know we know what your, your time zone you're in, everything like that. But maybe they want to change their time zones so that they can see the data from where it was originated from. So we've got to have all these different use cases where people may be in different time zones, but want to see the data in another time zone. So that always gets complicated.
2: Oh my goodness. And it's such a nicer story now in JavaScript. Whereas before you had to have eight megabytes of moment JS in the time zones file. <laughs> you can actually do that kind of stuff now in about 10 lines of JavaScript.
3: Yeah. That's really cool. The new, uh, INTL and everything like that it makes everything really nice.
2: Yeah. I've, I've been complaining about this for such a long time, like long time listeners. I don't know why you haven't yelled at me and told me that like INTL is now ready, but yeah, it, it's stupid. It's a it's a convoluted, complicated API that does things completely backwards from the way that you think about them. But you can set a time zone, set a time, and then work backwards to the original thing that you wanted. So huzzah!
3: And it works in i eleven, <laughs> which is the best part for every for all those poor developers that still need to support i eleven like me.
0: Yeah. So one thing that I'm curious about, and then something that I want to dive into a little bit is. There were a few things that I ran into when we were building uh, crime reports. One of them was that we had different coordinate systems depending on, uh, you know, who was sending us the data, and some of it was based on like which spheroid they used to model the Earth. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then and then it was okay. Well, we don't want latitude and longitude because they're these big giant numbers that you know don't mean anything to us. So they would set up their own coordinate system in their in their town or city or whatever and then they'd have these complicated shapes that kind of mapped out (laughs) the edges of the city so let's start with the spheroids you know what are the different models for the earth because a lot of times we we kind of plot the map as though it's flat and it's not it's a sphere exactly it's not a perfect sphere so then we have different ways of modeling that and math
3: so i mean the, the analogy everyone always uses is you take like an orange and um, imagine trying to peel that orange in such a way that you can flatten it out, right? So there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. You can basically just imagine peeling the, the the map off of the globe and how would you flatten that map out to a flat surface? So there's various ways you can do that that kind of um depending on what you're trying to do with your map, can you know make certain regions larger than others. for example mm-hmm. the the poles are always larger than everything else. we look at these flat maps. And when you're working in a local zone, so maybe you're zoomed into a particular city, there's different, they call it projections, you can use to kind of make it so that your city is kind of the focal point. And then the further away you get from that, uh, things start to get distorted from there. So it's it's always a, um, when you get data from different sources, for example, maybe one city sends data to another city mm-hmm. and everyone maybe in a county or most of the time it happens if you're working across uh, state agencies and stuff. You'll get something from the northern part of the state to the southern part of the state, and it's a different coordinate system, and you've got to get everything to kind of play together nicely. So what we try to do with our ArcGIS JavaScript API is um, we have a, which is really kind of cool, we have a, an engine, a projection engine that can actually convert from one projection to the other. And the, like you said, the math to do that is pretty complicated. I can't do it. I, I'm not smart enough to do that math myself, so I use these tools and everything to do it. But to get that projection engine working, uh, we had to uh, compile it from C into WebAssembly, and we used that inside of our API to do all of that work for us and stuff, which is really cool. So if you uh, load data with JavaScript API and it's um, from different projections, we can go ahead and reproject all that data to be the same inside your map. So everything kind of just lines up and, and works really nicely. And to you, you never know the difference, which is really kind of cool. And it's one of those things that anyone that's ever worked with Mapkin library has uh, come across. And most libraries can handle some sort of uh, reprojection either by um, some sort of other uh, projection library or a service that they can use to reproject their data.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's uh, pretty much what we were doing because, yeah, we would get, like you said, you know, some of these projections, so it would, you know it was for a very small area for a city, you know, and, and just the city limits, right? So if you think of like L.A., you've got all the little cities and around it as well, all the suburbs, and, you know, and so those might be handled by a different jurisdiction, and so they just cared about the things just inside their little lines. And yeah, they'd send it over to us, and then we'd have to reproject it into latitude, longitude. So that we could show it on our maps.
2: The the thing that seems common to me is the the same mapping system that Google uses for Google Maps. It's also the same system that's used for OpenStreetMaps, for Bing Maps, for Yahoo maps. It seems like most mapping systems, at least that I've worked with, have converged on that. Yes. Um, and that is actually a fairly simple algorithm. Like I I liked it.
3: So Web Mercator is pretty much with all the, um, everyone's kind of, that's what we kind of standardize on for web-based maps is everyone kind of uses Web Mercator. Data that you get maybe from like your GPS, if you've got like a, a one of those, uh, a watch that can track when you go running or something like that, mm-hmm. those are normally in, uh, what's called WGS84. That's your regular lat long, which is close to Web Mercator, but not quite. It's But it's pretty simple to convert those into these web mercator coordinates that Google Maps and everyone uses. And we use that as well. The issue is that we have a a lot of customers that the source of their data is in uh, these other projections and stuff. So we have to convert that projection into this web mercator so that plays well with everything else everyone else does. But most people do publish most of their data that they're putting out there as a web mercator or as this WGS 84 that can be converted pretty easily to Web Mercator. And that's probably the most popular one you'll find is a WHS-84 format. Like I said, that's what you get off of these uh, GPS devices and everything else that are pretty
0: easy to share. Yeah, and, and those work really well, I think, for kind of the general areas where you don't know exactly where somebody's going to be. And so you kind of need a system that works everywhere. But what I found with the crime data was that they had it transformed such to where it would print really nicely on a map they could put on the wall or things like that. And so it gave them a little more fine-grained control to use some other system that, yeah, like you said, it distorts once you're a ways out of town. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's really, really accurate for when you're not.
3: And there are, there are some where the measurements are in feet, but there's some older ones where the measurements were done in meters. So I I think there's a... Going to be another update to one of these projections pretty soon for uh, new measurements done. I'm not sure what stats that is, but you know we have to deal with all that too because some people have these older data sets that were never reprojected and stuff. Mm-hmm. So we have to kind of make sure all that works as well. I think it's interesting because you have the like land surveyors, right? So land surveyors are very accurate with all of their measurements. And Then um, you know some people will convert that over into something that can be mapped. Uh, along with all the other data sets you might have. So that's always a lot of fun. Yep. So, yeah, the other thing that we
0: had was just figuring out how to put, like, is this point inside of a, a polygon? Yeah. You know, a shape on the map. And that's really all it is. If, if people are wondering what a polygon is, it's literally just a list of points and you just then connect the dot, the dots all the way around <laughs> the shape, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, does ArcGIS provide for that? Like, if I have a map and I have, you know, maybe I have the shape over, you know, my town or my state or something like that and then I just throw a a point on the map, can it tell me if it's inside that polygon?
3: Yeah, we have that built-in our API and that's powered by, um, we call it a geometry engine and it's basically this um, uh, API that we have in our API that lets you do things like, is my point in a polygon, for example, or Uh um, the distance between two points we can also do um, if you have multiple polygons merge them all together or maybe find um, the area where two polygons overlap which is always a really interesting to use and these are the kind of tools that are are really nice because you can use something like this geometry engine to do some really cool client-side analysis of the data so if you um, maybe want to kind of Uh, you have a lot of this overlapping data. Like, say, say you have uh, parcels on top of census blocks, for example. And then you have land use data. This is always really interesting. So land use data is nice because it tells you whether or not this area is going to be commercial property or residential, for example. Mm -hmm. So now you can clip out the parcels that you know where people live and you can take the census data that tells you population and start assigning Population numbers to those individual parcels based on the land use data itself. So now you get this really detailed data sets from these three other data sets that you've done, right? And that's kind of a pretty popular workflow that a lot of people do for different types of analysis. And then once you've got that, you have these uh, parcels with the population numbers. If you want to get really detailed, you can use building data sets that will show you the number of buildings on a parcel, and maybe it's an apartment building kind of thing, and you can kind of start figuring out you know, the percentage of people that live in different buildings on top of these parcels. And there's going to be some flaws and everything with that, but it's still kind of a cool analysis you can do inside of your applications. And all this can be done on the fly in the browser with the JavaScript API, right? You don't necessarily need to use any kind of server tooling to do this, although you could. We try and provide all of this really cool client-side capabilities for users to take advantage of which just makes it easier for them to build these really cool apps and stuff to get things done for people. Makes sense. So one thing that I never
0: did, and you kind of brought it up, is routing.
3: Yeah, that's so, always a popular one.
0: Is that much different from you know, just having points on a map that maybe follow the highway, or is it more complicated than that?
3: Well, it gets a little interesting because, for example, you can say you want to route from uh, your house to the airport, but maybe you want to uh, stop and get something to eat as well. So uh, you can add a point for where that location might be. And you, you can do the routing um, based on certain times of day, for example, as well. So maybe you know you're going to be leaving at like three in the afternoon. And the way that our, our routing API works on the server side and everything is that it kind of takes historical traffic data to kind of figure out what historically the traffic's been like at that time of day to kind of give you these good estimates of you know, how long it's going to take you to get from your location to go eat and then get to the airport at a certain time kind of thing. And it, it's pretty similar to the same kind of stuff that uh, Google will do and everything where you can, um, I'm not sure with Google you can map multiple locations, I can't remember anymore. But what makes it useful for uh, stuff that we do, for example, is we have customers that have their own data for routing. So they might have these um, private streets on properties that they use. Mm-hmm. So they can add these private streets into the regular street network, and now we can help them route around certain ways. It's really useful for like, you know, delivery companies that need to route around, figure out the best route to get from multiple locations, right? So imagine you're doing a route to 15 locations in one day. What's going to be the optimal route for you to, to uh, start and finish your day based on right. where you need to go, right? So. All of that just kind of helps people figure out the best way to get places. And of course, I mean, it saves money in the long run because mm-hmm. that's money on gas and maintenance and everything. is really cool. But routing is really important. I mean, uh, people use it a lot. I mean, we use it on a daily basis just with our phones, right? Without even realizing it most of the time. Uh, a lot of the stuff we take advantage of these days. It's just really cool technology. Yeah, that's true.
0: Um, that's another thing that's interesting to me is when I was working on this kind of stuff, I mean, smartphones were pretty new, right? So not everybody had a GPS in their pocket. In fact, (laughs) I remember we had an actual GPS unit in our car, right? That we had bought third party and, you know, stuck to the windshield. (laughs) And, uh, you know, now, yeah, you just pull your phone out and tell it where you want to go. So has that changed? Has that changed mapping these days? I mean, I guess you have larger data sets and.
3: Yeah, exactly. Use it differently. Um, I mean, I think, People today use it uh, without even knowing it most of the time because it it comes into play in so many different ways. Like I said, there's because everyone's got a GPS and all kinds of different devices, your phones, your watches, your car, and everything, there's just way more data that's out there that's being used for different purposes. And sometimes if you install these apps in your phone for like a department store or some store you go shopping at, you may notice as soon as you walk in the store, you start getting these uh, alerts for coupons kind of thing, right? So there are the, um, if you're familiar with beacons, like indoor beacons and stuff that you can use that can help. Mm-hmm. Um, no, they send out these little messages to your devices and everything and then kind of track where you are at the store. I mean, it's just everywhere these days. I mean, the location is just used in a number of different ways. And it's just uh, remarkable how it's just part of what we do on a regular basis without even realizing it. Yep. And one of the things that um, we make sure not to do our, not to do with our API at all is that we don't. So if you use the JavaScript API, we, we don't collect any sort of telemetry data. It's not like, um, if you use one of our, if you use our API to build like an app, there's nothing coming back to us with any information at all. I mean, if you want to use like your you know, Google analytics or some other kind of a telemetry service to kind of track an app that you're building yourself, I mean, you can do that. But as far as we're concerned, we're not. That's not part of what we care about at all.
0: That's good to know.
3: One of those privacy things, right? I mean, everyone's worried about privacy today, but you're being tracked everywhere anyway. (laughs) Well, we say everyone, but it seems like it's a
0: smallish subset of people, but then they're very concerned. And, but I, I think it's just a matter of time though before there's some major thing that happens. You know, somebody gets stalked and something horrible happens to them because that data wasn't properly secured or something like that
3: and yeah, exactly i mean if someone were to get a hold of you know one of some device that you use that does your regular tracking and then someone figures out what your regular schedules like or something i mean yep. that, that's a that's a big risk right so
0: yeah and i could see that becoming an issue then where then everybody's like okay well you know the easiest way for us to secure our data is to not give it
3: up yeah which is always tough. It's always opt out in a lot of these cases, it's never really an opt yep. kind of thing.
2: That's one of the reasons I don't use any of the Google home or Amazon or like any, anything that sits in your home. And I mean, I know that there are devices that I'm not aware are monitoring me. Like I get really freaked out when Siri just chimes up all of a sudden. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I didn't realize I had Siri always listening, but apparently that's a thing now, but I try to limit those types of things. Cause it, I find it concerning, you know, because this stuff, it gets in the news all the time. And I just, I don't like the idea that someone would have full access to my house because I decided to install a thermostat.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yep. Even the microwaves and the stoves are connected today, right? So everything's on Wi-Fi and stuff. And you don't know exactly what kind of data is being sent over. Yeah.
0: Well, I have an Amazon Echo in like every room of my house.
3: So. <laughs> yeah, I got, I, got, I got the Alexa in my kitchen. So I can't really complain. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're super convenient, but yeah, eventually I think something's going to happen and some of these privacy concerns are going to really become an issue. So, so what kinds of things have you seen people doing? I mean, you kind of mentioned the, you know, sort of the land use uh, type scenario. Are there other things that you're seeing people doing with mapping data and, and location data?
3: yeah I mean, it's such a large variety. Uh, in terms of like what uh, our customers do, we have people that are um, a lot of people are building apps for like uh, city, state agencies, mm-hmm. and they'll do these um, applications that doing public notice kind of things, so maybe there's going to be uh, new development, and they need the public input on you know what is your feedback on putting in some new shopping center somewhere or something like that we've got a lot of customers doing like a, you know, trying to find retail locations if you are you know, trying to place a store somewhere the routing comes into play quite a bit because we've got people doing the whole delivery thing and trying to uh, figure out where uh, optimal routes are going to go uh, and we have a lot of people doing just really cool visualization stuff with our stuff for various purposes maybe research work or something like that because mm-hmm. we've um we we do regular you no know, 2D mapping we also have a uh, 3D uh, as part of our API as well so you can show the whole globe and that brings into place some really cool visualizations you can do in terms of like extruding points off of the globe so make these really cool looking visualizations adjusting the i'm not a cartographer so uh i, I can't make great looking maps but people can do some really cool things with the uh, based on the colors and everything that they do to make these really nice-looking maps and everything. Trail maps are really popular, right? Mm-hmm. So those, those kind of things are cool. But um, yeah, they do some really cool stuff. And one of the things that we, we have a, a term for one of our um, features we have in the API called smart mapping, All right? So uh, basically, if you're a developer and you want to make a nice-looking map, but you're not, uh, not exactly a, a cartographer, you can give us your data, Kind of tell us, you know, I'm interested in uh, some population uh, numbers. I have a field for population, and maybe I got a field for, you know, the amount of money that people make, you know, income or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you give us those two fields, and we'll go ahead and create a nice-looking colors and everything visualization for the data. And we don't just do it for the data, but we also look at what base map you're using. So if you're using like a a dark base map, then there's going to be different color schemes used for that. Or if you're using a, a street one or a gray light base map, then there's different color schemes for that. So we figure out everything that you're doing in your, your map and then give you a really nice looking visualization for your data. And we can do all kinds of really cool stuff. We can figure out, so if you're interested in what is the relationship between endangered species and population numbers or you know, industrial growth kind of thing. And you can make mm-hmm. a really cool visualization based on those two relationships, which is a nice uh, looking map. So we have all these really cool capabilities that uh, users are using to make just really interesting looking maps, which is cool. In 2D and 3D. And uh, uh, there's some really cool examples out there for 3D stuff that uh, we have a developer out in Zurich. We have an office out there that does some really cool stuff. Uh, she's put together a bunch of things, uh, Reluca here. But yeah, That's they, cool. 3D stuff is nice.
0: Yeah, I can I can just see uh, AJ plotting his uh, his route to the moon or something with 3D.
3: <laughs> no, it's funny you mention that. We do have um, we've had agencies mapping planets, for example. Like, uh, I think um, I know I've heard they mapped Mars. Uh, can't remember anything else they did. Maybe the moon, but it is uh, something that people are doing, mapping out all this different data. That you know, now we have all this really cool uh, stuff coming in from all these. Uh, probes stuff we've sent up uh, we're getting this cool data sets coming in so people are doing some really cool stuff with that and we talked about trying to um, work with these projections um, you know just across like different states I mean uh, they do some really interesting things for these projections on uh, different planets which is cool
0: that's really cool I've been reading the expanse so that's what's going through my head is oh you know, okay mapping <laughs> my way out to the ring
3: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I can also imagine then, like mapping buildings and things like that, right? So, this office is right here, and
3: yeah, we do a lot of that. We have um, indoor routing too. So, I mean, we can even do something like if, um, if if I'm in my office here and I need to get to another office that's in a part of the building I haven't been to before, you can do that kind of routing, and that'll um, route you downstairs or tell you to go uh, down this hallway kind of thing. That can get pretty uh, detailed as well. Yeah. Even with the 3D, I mean, we can show you the, um, you know, if you have like office layouts, you can put in the 3D models. Kind of, they're going to be this number of chairs and these meeting rooms and these number of desks and stuff like that. Yep. Kind of play with it and say, oh, I want to take these chairs out or rearrange these walls or something like that, which is kind of cool. That's like a Mm -hmm. a planning uh, type stuff that people use um, for mapping. Uh, That's really popular too. If you want to plan out what your city might look like in say 2050 you can do those kind of plans and stuff. And uh, they put that kind of data together for that stuff. That's really cool.
0: Yeah, very cool. I don't know if I have any other questions or or things to bring up. Amy, AJ? I do not. (laughs) All right. If people want to follow what Esri's doing or see what you're doing online,
3: Renee, where do they go? So you can go to developers.arcgis.com and you can see all of the development tools that platform i have my own site at odoe.net and that pretty much links out to my twitter my github my youtube and everything else that i do <laughs> which is a lot of stuff so they can always check me out there we have um, our blogs at uh, blogs.esri.com mm-hmm. you can always find stuff there and then um well i i myself i'm going to be at half stack new york next month I think we're going to be sponsoring uh, TSConf in November as well. Oh, nice! We're big TypeScript users over here for our whole API. It's about almost 100% TypeScript at this point. Yeah, everybody here loves TypeScript, right, AJ?
2: Oh, man, it burns. <laughs> it burns. <laughs> Just so good.
3: <laughs> we, we had some uh, stragglers at the beginning, but everybody's on board now over here. I mean, we had to convert a very large library from uh, just all pure JavaScript to TypeScript when we uh, started moving to it. And we've got a a few files left, but we're just about done. So we've gotten a huge benefit from it. We really dig it. Nice. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io.
0: Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. All right, well, the the final segment of this show is picks. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and let Amy give us some picks.
1: Okay, I'm just going to go with... Uh, something that looked pretty good on Hacker News, advice to less experienced developers. I feel like if nothing else, a lot of this stuff kind of starts to sound the same. But if you hear it enough, hopefully people will start to believe it and take it to heart. And I don't know, just that I'm, you know, at work, I'm kind of being given like more and more responsibility. And starting to work in more of like a mentorship leadership role and it's really interesting to kind of be working with folks and like guiding them and seeing a lot of the questions that they ask are things that I've asked in the past and I just always think it's like even if you are a if you've been doing this a while now it's helpful to read this kind of stuff to kind of keep yourself in check and uh, you know never forget what it's been what it was like to be a beginner. That'll be it for me.
0: Nice, AJ. What are your picks? So
2: I'm picking INTL because it gives you the name of the time zone that the user in it is in, which is amazing and it's well supported. I'm also going to link to a library that I'm working on. Right now, it's worthless. It's just like some stubs, but probably by the time it gets published, it'll be it'll be worth worth looking at for for handling. It's basically, figuring out if a time is valid in a time zone. Like for example, there are ambiguous times like 2.30 a.m. can either not exist or can exist twice depending on what time zone you're in and what day it is. And then I'm also, uh, I, so it's not fun because databases aren't intended to store things like time zones because time zones have to be computed. Ask not what your database can compute for you but what you can compute for your database. But that said, Postgres does have enough utility that you can work with time zones in Postgres. It's hairy and it looks nasty, but I'm going to link to a Stack Overflow post for doing that. And I'm also going to pick a movie that my wife got me for Father's Day because I asked for it because I saw it on Amazon. It looked interesting, called Colorful. It's an anime. It's pretty pg-13 in the true sense of the word not meaning like whoa that's really pg-13 but it's it's like maybe a coming of age type movie that basically talks about it's it's kind of interesting i mean i find asian films interesting because the way they present stories is more about resolving a problem and you got to be like three quarters the way through the movie before you even have any idea what's going on or why you're watching it which i think is actually cool but it's It's kind of about the concept of how people are not binary in their behaviors of I'm either this type of person or that type of person, but we have conflicting ideals that shape who we are. And I kind of see it as somewhat of a forgiveness story, although I I don't think most people would probably label it as such. That's kind of what it it seemed like to me and the animation style was beautiful and i enjoyed it and it was like 10 bucks so pretty good deal i think and it's called colorful
0: nice i'm gonna jump in here with a couple on of my own one is is uh i'm gonna be running a 5k in a couple weeks this is kind of a fitness test is what my uh, running coach called it then i've been running much further than that on my regular daily runs but um yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes. I'm running the Heber half. Of course, I'm running the 5K, not the half marathon. But anyway, looking forward to that. That's going to be up in Heber, Utah. And uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Of course, by the time this goes live, it might already be over. One other thing that I'm going to pick, and this is something that I've been working on for a while, uh, moving the devchat.tv website over to a statically generated site. It presented a couple of things. One was that I needed a good way for my non-technical show notes writers to write the show notes and submit them. A lot of them aren't familiar with Git, which is the way that I've been adding stuff to the repo. Anyway, I've been using Netlify to host the staging setup for the new website. It'll probably go live this week. But yeah, uh, Netlify has a CMS and the CMS works with your static site generator like Hugo or 11ty or is what I'm using. I just configured it and then it automatically picked all that stuff up, which is really cool. So uh, Netlify CMS. Is, is another pick. One last pick that I have, this is something that I played with my brother and sister-in-law last night was Villainous, which is a, a game where you play Disney villains and you essentially, everybody's a different villain. And so, you know, each villain has their own story. And so they're trying to circumvent their fate, essentially. And so, you know, for Ursula, she has to capture the crown and the trident and defeat Triton. For uh, Captain Hook, you have to find the... Lost Boys Hideout, which is locked when you start. So you have to unlock it. And then you have to get Peter Pan out and, you know, get him to the Jolly Roger and defeat him. And anyway, so you're trying to complete your quest before anyone else. And, and anyway, it's just, it's fun. So Prince John, he has to get 20 power, which are kind of the little coins. So anyway, so you can play fate cards on, on the other players. And that's like heroes or effects that, that hurt them. And so, yeah, you're trying to be the first one to get your objective done, and it, it's a lot of fun. So, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying that as well. And then, I don't know if I mentioned this last time or if I mentioned it on a my JavaScript story, but I switched browsers from Chrome to Firefox recently, and the main reason was was that Firefox comes with two features that are rather important to me, and it, it's something that I had installed browser extensions on Chrome to get. One of them was that it blocks autoplay for um, videos by default. Yes! And I know, it's so nice. And then the other one is is that they've added in some of the security features that you get from things like Privacy Badger and stuff like that. And so anyway, a lot, a lot of the do not track behavior is just built into Firefox now. And so I switched over because I'm pretty happy with it. So I'm going to pick those. Uh, Rene, what are your picks?
3: All right. So I'm going to have to go with uh, a book series that I've been reading recently. I haven't finished it yet. Old Man's War by uh, John Scalzi. So it's a uh, a sci-fi series. Um, I don't want to spoil it too much, but basically uh, people from Earth, when they reach the age of 75, they sign up to join the military because they are uh, promised that they can serve 10 years and they – don't know how, but they are youthful again when they do. So the first book was really great, and I, I'm now in the second to the last book. I think there's like five or six books right now. And I'm just, I've been plowing right through them on my Audible for like the past uh, like month and a half. And I'm just having a real good time with it. I think if you enjoy sci-fi in any way, it's a, it's a great series to check out. So I'm having a lot of fun there. My other pick is actually going to be a, a movie – just because I thought it was hilarious, I saw recently was, um, it's on Netflix, Always Be My Maybe. And it's a comedy, but it's worth it because it has the greatest Keanu Reeves like 15, 20 minutes that you'll ever see in a movie. It's worth it just for that alone. Keanu is just fantastic in that bit. It's hilarious. So I'd go with those two. Nice. All right. Well, thank you for coming, Renee,
0: and talking to us. This was a lot of fun, and hopefully it helps some people get some ideas around mapping and location. Awesome. Thank you. It was great being here. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up, folks, and we will be back next week. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.